Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. And I'm Valdana Hayek, a cross-asset reporter with Bloomberg. And this week on the show, well, the stock market hasn't set a new low in about five weeks. And oil is down more than 20 bucks below its peak this year. So is the bear market over? Along with all those concerns about out-of-control inflation and what the Fed will do about it, We'll get into it with the head of investment strategy at the wealth management unit of a big bank. But first, Fultana, I have to say, um, I've been worried about you. I'm going to just Why? come out and say I've been worried about it. Because I know you live in the That's city. That's nice of you, by the way. Do you have air conditioning? I have, yeah, I have air conditioners, okay. like in my window. Okay, all right. Are then you I'm, asking because it's so hot? Because it's so hot. Now I'm not as, as worried about you. I feel like you city slickers don't have the all the appliances you need. To live sometimes we a don't comfortable life. like everybody probably needs a blender or like a vacuum you know well i'm thinking of the big ticket like and wh- the big ticket wh- items. whatever people uh, hipsters is it okay to call you a hipster sure city city <laughs> slickers here that out in the suburbs i have central air i've oh my got gosh. a washer dryer. washer dryer don't tell me about the washer dryer. a dishwasher you're like what are you some kind of billionaire with, with all yeah with a washer dryer like the air conditioning <laughs> yes everybody needs it right at, now at least you have an air conditioner but right the washer I'm, dryer that ki- that i would i mean i would love I'm like to a have billionaire one. out there in the suburbs yeah with you're my so washer rich dryer. oh my god I and a so dishwasher rich. as well yeah know. i bet our guest has a dishwasher and a washer dryer <laughs> But I do want to I want to introduce Sean Snyder, head of investment strategy at City US Wealth Management. Thanks so much for joining us, Sean. 
Thanks for having me. Sean, we're all having this debate about whether or not we're in a recession. I know you sent us a note over that said one side will be wrong, which is a very diplomatic way of putting it. So I'm wondering what side you're you're falling under. I, you know, it's it's really fascinating because you have the potential for two negative real GDP prints in a row. We had a negative print in the first quarter. Atlanta Fed is actually tracking at minus 1.5% for the second quarter. And most people think that that fits the technical definition of a recession, but that's not necessarily true. Uh, and we also have the Fed that said in their June FOMC meeting minutes that uh, growth appears to be rebounding in the second quarter. So that's what I meant when I said one side will be wrong. It's interesting that if you look at uh, 2001, we had a recession. We never had two negative prints in a row, and yet we were, it was still defined as a recession. And if you look at the global financial crisis, you actually had the recession called in December 2007, but it wasn't until the fourth quarter of 2008 that you actually had two consecutive quarters. So this notion that two consecutive quarters of negative growth always definition fits isn't, isn't exactly right. Uh, it's actually kind of lines up better with payrolls. And we've actually seen payrolls coming in you know, really strong through the first half of this year. Average of 457,000 jobs added in the first half. Uh, and that doesn't line up with this notion of recession. Right. And we've been hearing a lot about the technical definition of a recession. We've talked on the podcast recently about what might constitute a recession by the NBER and by their right. standards. <laughs> but so does, do you think that we should be rethinking our definition of a recession? And if we do, what does it mean for how investors should be thinking about this? Well, I mean, ultimately, it is up to, N, up to the NBER, right? You have, I think, I believe eight economists uh, you know, associated with it that make the call, and it often tends to, to lag the actual recession by about a year. So I'm not sure we can actually you know, change who the arbiter of that is. What does it mean for investors? I think, in general, it means this notion that we're seeing capitulation already you know, might be wrong. Uh, we have seen the market react very fast to the notion of recession, simply because the Fed is essentially telling us what it's going to do, right? It wants to destroy demand so that it can bring down inflation. So markets have reacted extremely quickly to the potential for recession. Um, and now they're kind of just waiting to confirm whether or not we will have one or will not have one. Uh, traditionally, if you don't have a recession, uh, you know, these bear markets tend to bottom out somewhere between 20, 25%, which is kind of where we are. Uh, and if we do have a recession, there's usually another leg down. And that's maybe another five, 10% um, further, depending. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm kind of more fascinated with this rebound we've seen off the low. You know, like I said in the intro, it's been, I think, five weeks now. The middle of June was the last low. We're uh, recording here on Wednesday, July 20th. We're something like 8% above that low now. At what point, you know, do you go from saying, oh, this is just a dead cat bounce or a, a bear market rally to actually being a, a believer? You know, uh, you mentioned capitulation uh, Bank of America's fund manager survey was out this week. They said, you know, they think th this is it. They've seen uh, fund manager capitulation. How do you sort of try to suss out whether or not that bottom is the real deal or, or whether it's a sort of a false bottom and we'll be back there again or, or lower in the near future? Well, Les, I think it's interesting because the NASDAQ is up, you know, about 10% since mid-June, I believe June 16th. S&P 500 is up just about 8% since mid-June. It's kind of interesting that it really coincides with these uh, five consecutive weeks of gasoline prices declining. 
So, you know, I think maybe they're kind of sniffing out that maybe inflation has finally peaked. And, you know, I feel sometimes like I'm the boy who cried wolf because I keep saying inflation <laughs> has peaked or it's, you know, we're near peak and it just keeps going higher and higher. And you look at Europe, um, you know, with what's going on there with this heat wave, and then you have potentially even higher food prices and higher energy and uh, more difficult times ahead for them in particular. But I do think there are some signs that maybe inflation has peaked. And I, and I think those expectations, um, we saw the University of Michigan's uh, consumer inflation expectations for five years forward come down uh, last month. It was revised from 3% to up to 3.3, then back down to 2.8. Um, I was just in the Midwest in Wisconsin, and, and people there constantly mentioned to me that gas has come back down, and they seem to be a little bit more happy about it. Um, so I think maybe the market's you know sniffing that out, and then again, the earnings this season have been you know pretty good. I do want to ask you more about earnings, but first I want to ask you how difficult it's been to make a call on anything right now, considering that the economic signals are a, a little bit all over the place. So I'm just thinking about you know if we were to have a recession, we've never had one where the, where the labor market has been so tight, right? That's right. You know, so when it comes to making calls in this type of market, you know, I think the first half of this year was extremely difficult for almost anyone because you know bonds weren't performing in your portfolio, equities weren't performing in your portfolio, uh, and there was a pretty historic decline in in both. Um, the potential upside of the environment now is that fixed income looks more attractive. Uh, you know, I think bond yields will likely peak in 2022. And I think if you were to see a recession, well, then the fixed income side of your portfolio at least provides you some sort of buffer. You also have higher yields now. So there are some, you know, attractive opportunities there, U.S. municipals, um, other areas like that. So I think it's a little bit easier here. Um, it might get a little bit more difficult going forward, though. And I think energy is a particularly interesting sector. It's been one of the you know few sectors that has you know worked uniformly throughout the majority of this. But if you do see a recession, then you're going to see energy prices come down. If you look at the past four recessions, uh, crude oil prices fell by about 68%. Uh, and that's going to mean lower EPS estimates for 2023. That means the energy sector may not work as well um, as it has. So that there's going to be some difficult um, things if we do have a recession. Yeah, let's talk about that earnings outlook, uh, Sean. I know, you know, for this year, I think the estimates are still something like 10%, a, a little bit lower for 2023. Everybody we talk to seems convinced that you can't believe these estimates. They're going to have to come down, whether it be, you know, uh, to your point, the energy sector uh, and that fabulous growth in earnings they're showing uh, comes back to earth or recession knocks just pretty much, you know, everything out of order. But I also can't help but think, you know, companies tend to beat these estimates, right? You know, so if we're looking at, say, 8 9% growth for next year, even if they come down to, I don't know, 5% or, or less, say, call 2%, and the, the market tends to beat those estimates by 5%, how bad of a, of a sort of re-rating in earnings expectations are we talking about to justify what we've seen in this market? It just seems like... People have gotten a little carried away to me. Do you think Do you think that's possible? I think what you're describing is a somewhat optimistic scenario, and it's not necessarily because I'm extremely negative. But I think if you did happen to have a recession in the back half of 2023, then that would bring down those estimates. And, and the current EPS expectations of 8.3% would come down. And even now, if you actually strip out the energy sector, which is doing phenomenal, we're not seeing 10% EPS growth on a, on a broad swath. We're seeing that when you include the energy sector. You strip out the energy sector in the second quarter here, you're actually seeing negative earnings per share. But 
you know, companies thus far, and again, maybe it's 10% that have reported the S&P 500 so far this uh, earnings season, have actually shown they've been able to weather it fairly well. They've been able to kind of handle inflation. The profit margins are doing okay. Um, but again, that, that's not the most difficult scenario. That's not a scenario where unemployment is rising, uh, which is what you would see in 2023. Uh, so, you know, we're not there yet. Can you actually talk more about what what you've noticed so far this earnings season? I wanted to ask you if it's the case that maybe the worst case or most feared scenarios aren't actually playing out. And maybe the Netflix report is a good example of this. But, you know, potentially there had been a lot of fear about we were what we were going to be seeing from companies. And so far, it's not playing out. I think that's right. And I think what it's reflecting is the macro backdrop. And I think it's actually seeing this play out in real time of whether we're currently in a recession or we're not in a recession. And I think earnings are telling us that we are probably not in a recession yet. So I think that's why the coming across is a bit more optimistic. But we kind of knew that we may not be in a recession just yet. The consumer has a you know, really strong balance sheet. Monetary policy operates with a lag, you know, potentially as much as a year or even longer. So I think this is telling us that, yes, they're holding up fine right now. But what happens as the Fed continues to tighten and tighten and tighten? Well, then it's a different story in 2023. And to me, the Federal Reserve kind of reminds me of the Aesop's tale about the tortoise and the hare, right? They're reacting like the hare right now. And they're trying to act very, very quickly because they felt like they're behind the curve. But eventually, they're going to turn to, need to turn into the tortoise and slow things down if they really want to avoid tripping and having this hard landing. And so far, they haven't shown any signs of turning from a hare to a tortoise. Uh, but I think the market is hoping that that will happen. Uh, if inflation doesn't deep peak and, and comes down. You know, Sean, it's, uh, I, I tend to think of, the say, the last decade in, in three parts. Uh, I'm sure everyone does. You know, we had the pre-pandemic era, you know, the old normal, uh, where you had growth and tech was, you know, outperforming pretty consistently. Uh, then you had the pandemic where, you know, certain segments of growth and tech just went went bananas, went through the roof. Now we have this after, well, maybe the pandemic's not over yet, but we have sort of the over the hump of it, at least, you know, the, the trying to get back to normal phase of life. Um, and we have seen value, uh, more cyclical uh, companies outperform. Um, and I know you guys at the at the moment at City Global Wealth Investors are overweight, um, a, a very sort of defensive uh, bucket of stocks, uh, you know, consumer staples, healthcare, dividend uh, growers, uh, commodity hedges like natural resources. You did point out though that that Nasdaq is outperforming since the low in June again. It, it's starting to look, you know, maybe like that growth trade is going to come back. That to me seems very much a risk of a head fake, I guess, in this environment. But I'm curious how you're thinking about that that resurgence in tech and Nasdaq and and growth. Um, you know. It, is the new normal going to look like a lot like the the old normal once we're truly past this this uh, pandemic phase of of the economy, or is it going to look like something completely different? And how do you sort of suss out when to you know go from one side of the boat in defensives or value back into into growth and tech? How are you sort of thinking about that transition if you are at all? Right, it's difficult to to call the exact moment where you should switch from one thing back in, into another thing. But, you know, when I think of technology, and we've really seen a huge divergence between uh, the technology companies that you and I use on a day-to-day basis, right? You know, there's a handful of names that we probably don't go a single day without using. And then there's also kind of what we call the non-profitable tech 
that have really been hit during this downturn. And I think that's that's a big difference. And I'm not sure that the non-profitable tech is really going to uh, see the rebound and come back to where it was in you know maybe 2001 or towards the end of 2001. I think that's going to take some time. And you know, there's simply certain things that we may not need as much anymore. We may not need the fancy um, you know, bicycle at home to exercise on because now people are going back to the gym, they're going outside, they're going back to life. Um, you know, those types of things I don't think are going to see that same, you know, surge again. But, you know, at the end of the day, technology is where growth is over the long run. Many of them are much cheaper than they were before. And I think if you have a long enough time horizon, I think, you know, this is probably a good opportunity to add to those decisions. Um, you know, is it going to instantly rebound or, or, you know, to the moon? Not necessarily, but if you're going to hold it for 10 years, I think you're going to be rewarded. To the moon, Vildata, Sean spent on Reddit, I think. <laughs> yeah, you've been spending a lot of time on social media. I, I remember those meme stocks very well. <laughs> it does seem like a really long time ago, though. I, st- I, I still don't say. know what diamond hands mean, so. <laughs> <laughs> You'll learn if you spend a lot of time on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Mike likes to say around here that people tune into this podcast so that they can learn about what smart people like you are actually favoring in this environment. So I do want to ask you to talk a little bit more about those defensive equities that you do like. Right. So, so we actually made a few changes recently at City's Global Investment Committee, uh, which I'm a voting member of. One thing we did is we brought down uh, our overweight in oil field services down to a neutral. Again, we think maybe there's some risk there. Um, if we do indeed enter a recession in 2023, you know, I mentioned that oil prices tend to come down when the economy slows down. So we've, we've trimmed a little bit there. We still have an overweight in natural resources, agriculture, those types of commodities we actually think are probably going to continue uh, to hold up for the most part. And then we like consumer staples, healthcare. Those two sectors are sectors that tend to have positive earnings growth, even if there is a downturn. So they're one of those sectors that kind of helps you um, whether the storm and act like a bellwether. And then dividend growers, uh, those are, you know, what I would describe as quality companies, really strong balance sheets, consistent dividend growth. Uh, and what they do is they tend to outperform the more risky segments of the market, right? So uh, they're probably down maybe a third of what the NASDAQ is down this year, uh, or perhaps even a half. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't checked it recently, but they tend to perform um, better in these times of kind of uh, difficult backdrop. We do like Chinese equities. We actually added a little bit further there. We think their economy is in a different position than ours is. Um, we think that their economic activity may have bottomed in May and actually is going to potentially start to rebound. Uh, so we're just looking for pockets of opportunities. You know, it's a very desynchronized kind of uh, path to the global economy right now. China seems to be coming out um, of a slowdown. We may be entering further into a slowdown. Uh, and then Europe is, you know, <laughs> anyone's guess, but it doesn't seem great. Right, right. Especially heading into the fall and winter, I guess, uh, with all, you know so many questions about the, the gas uh, supplies. I wanted to unpack your thinking on China a little bit, Sean, uh, because I do feel like that's a bit of a contrarian call right now to be uh, you know, sort of bullish on China. How are you thinking about um, sort of the regulatory risks? Um, it, it almost seems like possibly that the pendulum has, has swung in China where, you know, last year they were cracking down on tech companies and education stocks, and it, it really spooked a lot of money out of the market. I, th- does it seem like, you know, uh, Xi Jinping has learned his lesson and, and, and is not going to keep that heavy-handed uh, approach to regulation going? And is that at all part of your, your thinking on, on why to be bullish China? I, you know, I'll be honest, I don't have particularly great insights into the politics there. And I think that is probably the risk you take when you do invest in, in those equities. But our call is more simply based on the macro backdrop and that we think that their economy is kind of turning the corner and that we've seen uh, extremely cheap valuations there. And it's really, you know, if you talk to clients in that region, it really feels like that moment of capitulation where, uh, you know, you feel that frustration and, and no one wants to come anywhere near it. So, I think that kind of sets up for the contrarian call. Is there that idiosyncratic risk of, you know, political issues or maybe things that are kind of opaque to outside investors? Yes. Um, but I think for the right person, it still makes sense. 
What's behind your call that their economy is potentially making a turn for the better? Is it the COVID zero potentially going away or abating or lessening or however you want to describe it? Or is there something more uh, fundamental at play? I think it's at the expectations that the credit impulse and the reason will pick up. So when you see the credit impulse pick up and stimulus kind of take hold, then generally the economy responds to that. So, you know, we think that their economy is going to continue to pick up steam here. Um, maybe they don't hit the 5.5% growth target that they want, but we think that uh, economic you know, activity, particularly GDP, is, is on the uptrend there. So that, that's really it. Sean, so much of the story this year uh, has been the Treasury market, um, this really eye-popping surge in in yields earlier in the year. Uh, it seems like, uh, knock on wood, I'm, I'm probably going to jinx it, but it it seems like that volatility in in Treasuries is you know fingers crossed, calmed down a little bit. Got the ten year settling in right around three percent. Um, uh, are bonds attractive at this level, even though we haven't quite seen that inflation come back to earth yet? Is it, is it worth sort of making the gamble that these will be positive yields if you buy further out on the curve right now? I think that's the case. We, we've done actually a few kind of uh, experiments or, or look at historical examples per se. Uh, and when you saw both stocks and bonds sell off by over four and a half percent during the same period, it tends to set up for a rebound in fixed income. And we've only found five other examples in the past where we had uh, this first half of a period of six months where both sold off uh, uniformly and together. And what happened in the following six months is that fixed income returns were significantly better and they were positive in all 100% of the cases, whereas uh, stocks was three out of five cases or less so. So our conviction is stronger on the fixed income side. And we actually think that um, you're getting to this point now where if you do enter recession again, maybe not quite the base case, but it looks like, you know, increasingly likely in 2023, then bonds will add, you know, some diversification to your portfolio and treasury yields probably will come down. I'm wondering, Sean, if you think there does come a point where bonds might be more attractive than stocks even. I, listen, for a long-term investor, I don't think that's the case. You know, that may be the case for the next year or so, but I mean, ultimately, you know, long run stock market returns are improving right now. So, and I think we have to remember that even during these really tough periods, that bear markets are almost always followed by really lengthy and substantial bull markets. So, a- after a typical bear market, what you tend to see is that the uh, stock market posts about 106% return um, over the next period after that bear market. And, and then it tends to last about 600 or so trading days. So when you think of long-term investing, you really have to keep that in focus and realize that these bear markets are part of investing and that they're often followed by bull markets. So to say that stocks are not going to be as attractive fixed income, I think is is probably wrong. Maybe they might not be the place you want to like, you know, sink everything into right now. Maybe there's another leg down. But I think over the long run, stocks are still a better investment than fixed income. Yeah, Sean, we're going to get the uh, uh, the next Federal Reserve decision next week. Um, what is the uh, what are your your sort of expectations for that? I mean, I think everyone's kind of you know expecting a, a seventy five basis point hike. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like a hundred is is necessarily uh, on the table as much as it, it was maybe a few weeks ago when commodities and everything were still high. Do you think they'll be able to react to this? 
sort of correction in commodities to the downside and and get a little more dovish, or are they just going to be pedaled to the metal still, at least in their guidance and in and in their uh, you know what Powell has to say in the press conference? I think they may mention the fact that energy prices have come off a bit. You know, if gasoline prices stay where they are currently, uh, hold through the end of July, then maybe you can shave off 0.3 percentage points off of the CPI uh, in July. But again, we do have prices firming on the services side. Uh, shelter prices continue to rise. Uh, those are things that operate with a lag. So the way the CPI works, the shelter component tends to lag the national Case-Shiller housing index by about a year. Yeah. So that means you're going to continue to see that firming in shelter prices. So I don't think they're going to feel confident enough um, to back off. I personally would like to see them react less to these individual data points. I think that creates kind of unnecessary market volatility. You know, anytime a CPI inflation print comes out, it's like, okay, now it's a jumbo rate hike. Or no, it's not. Or look at, look at the University of Michigan's uh, Consumer Inflation Expectation Index. It, it jumped up. The Fed reacted to it raised their basis point rate from 50 to 75, then it got revised down to a lower rate. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I would, I'd like to see them kind of just be sort of stable here. Um, hopefully that's what they do. Mike, do you want to know a fun fact? Uh, yes, I like fun facts. My birthday is next Wednesday. Oh, how about that? Fed day. Wow. You it's going to be awful. You should t- <laughs> that's a good day to take off, I think. I know, right? I should have <laughs> taken off. <laughs> Um, but, Sean, can you also talk about uh, what a Fed-induced re- recession might mean for unemployment? I know in the notes you had sent over, you said uh, it, it could mean employment ri- unemployment rising to around 6.5%, and that could mean that stocks could fall another 10% or so. Can you talk more about that? Sure. That's not an official forecast, but what I did is I looked at past recessions, and what you see is that the unemployment rate doesn't tend to just tick up by a few ticks, right? So we saw or heard uh, Fed Chair Powell in the past mention that they may need to continue tightening until they see the unemployment rate rise by a few ticks, but that doesn't tend to happen. So on average, the unemployment rate when you have a recession tends to rise by about 3%. So, you know, right now we're at 3.6%. You know, I think there is some room between that and what the Fed considers full employment. You know, I think that they're comfortable with the unemployment rate rising. Typically, you know, the natural rate of unemployment is considered to be somewhere around five to five and a half percent. That's considered to be full employment. So I think they can accept the unemployment rate rising to some extent. But, you know, you're kind of treading into dangerous territory thinking that you can swerve just at the right moment. So you don't, you know, as to avoid uh, unnecessary job loss. And at some point, if the Fed does do that, then they have to focus on their other mandate, right? So right now they can ignore the mandate of full employment because there's such a tight labor market and they can focus on price stability. But what happens when unemployment starts to rise? Then what do they do? Which mandate becomes the most important? And I think eventually it will become uh, the employment mandate. And they may have to just accept a higher rate of inflation. Uh, you know, Sean, in your notes, you mentioned the SAM recession rule, or SAM, is it? S-A-H-M? I, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. But uh, I, I, f- I believe it's SAM. SAM. <laughs> we'll go with SAM. It's it's interesting. I feel like that's being talked a lot about these days, especially because of this debate about, well, we, what if we do get two quarters of negative GDP growth? Is that really a recession? People are sort of looking for that alternative uh, uh, indicator of it. And my understanding, it's basically if you take what the moving average of the past three months of the unemployment rate, um, as long as it hasn't risen half a percentage point from the low, the recent low in the past year, then uh, no recession. 
Is that something you think the Fed keeps an eye on? Well, it was actually created by Claudia Sum, who worked at the Fed. So I would imagine they'd at least be aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and if based on their tone and, and the things they seem to be saying, they don't seem to think that the U.S. economy is in a recession. So it's, it's possible. Um, you know, what's interesting about the Sum rule is, is it actually uh, kind of lines up with leading economic indicators. So leading economic indicators is the other thing I constantly look at to kind of judge whether in a recession or not. Typically, on a year-on-year basis, it falls below 0% uh, before you enter a recession. It's been really um, quite accurate. The yield curve is part of that. Uh, and right now, it's at a positive 3%. I think the re- it will be released again, I think, later this week, and, and I'm sure it'll come down further. It's been you know, cooling rapidly, but it isn't signaling a recession. It tends to lead the uh, SOM rule by about nine months. So if you kind of line them up together on a chart, it shows that Maybe heading into 2023, you'll start to see the unemployment rate rise, and this constant, uh, you know, persistence of job gains will potentially turn into job losses. Uh, and I think that will be a moment where the market kind of has to get its head around and the Fed as well. And I think that's maybe when you see this turning point from the Fed, and then maybe even more so the markets. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. And Sean, just to wrap things up here, and you sort of alluded to this, but I want to ask you about your long-term thinking, what you're thinking about for about this around the stock market for the next decade because I know we had Katie Koch on the podcast a couple of weeks ago from she's from Goldman and she said the next decade is actually going to be really really tough for for equity so how are you guys uh, thinking about what the next 10 years are going to look like well, I think when you have a bear market like this I think returns and the strategic returns over the next 10 year period certainly improve um, you know, I think for a long-term investor, I, I don't think this matters that much. I, I think that you will see a relatively strong bull market coming out of this. Uh, and, you know, I think timing the market doesn't tend to work very well. I think when you do that, um, since 1990, if you simply missed, uh, you know, the best 20 days, your average return, annual return goes from 10.8% down to 6.3%. And, you know, eight of those 10 worst days are right next to the 10 best days. So it's really difficult to market time. So but I really think it's important to stay focused on the long term. And you know, if you simply looked at hypothetical performance of say a $10,000 investment uh, since 1990, it's been quite impressive. You know, we've made it through Brexit, we've made it through the global financial crisis, we've made it through the annexation of Crimea in the past. We've made it through a lot of difficult times, and I think that will absolutely uh, be the case this time around as well. So I would be, you know, I started at Citigroup during the global financial crisis. I remember March 9, 2009, when nobody wanted to touch anything, and that was an extremely attractive entry point. So I think this will likely prove to be that again. Are we at that point just yet? Maybe not, but we will get there. All right. Well, you know what point we're at? Hold on, Anthony. I know? wonder if Sean knows. <laughs> I think he can he is, figure is it out. Is it the craziest thing? It's, yeah. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Sean's bet on this show before. He knows the rules. <laughs> I've got a good one. I think I do too, but mine is kind of gross. Uh, yeah, all right. I like it already. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I like it already. Let's hear it. Okay. This is about a family dollar in Arkansas. A few oh. months ago, oh, I know where you're going. They had to fumigate the entire place because there was a huge rodent problem. And when they came back, guess how many dead rodent carcasses they found? Oh, this is at one store, or is that a warehouse? It was right? a warehouse. All right, how many? Boy, the um. Oh, I think it. I think it was a warehouse. Yeah. How many dead rodents in one Dollar Club warehouse? Family Dollar. Family Dollar, sorry, Dollar Club. What is, what is, what is dollar even club Dollar Club? I just made that up. Where do you live? Oh, I'm thinking of the Dollar Shave Club. <laughs> Sean, what's your guess on how many dead rodents were found? Oh, man, that's tough. I'm going to go over 500. 500? I'm guessing they come, I'm guessing they come in bulk there. Jeez. <laughs> that's good. It, it, no, it's not a Costco. If it was Costco. Uh, okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to take the under. I'm going to go 250. Well, I obviously don't have a good poker face because I just did a really shocked face at you, but no. 1,000. 1,000 dead rodents. Jeez. Dead 
rodent carcasses. Well, that's due to inflation, I think. And now the rat, the rats are actually back. So all these workers are finding them. I guess the story that I read said they found them in rolled up rugs and in different oh. items, and uh, the warehouse is closed. One thousand dead rodents, Sean. I think I, <laughs> I think I saw them play at CBGBs in the nineties. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, I think she wins. <laughs> that's pretty good. I'm calling it early. That's that's pretty good. All right, Sean, how about you? You see anything crazy this week? Yeah, I was actually going to go with the heat wave. And, and then I actually do think there is maybe some financial market implications. So I was reading about uh, the heat wave, particularly in Europe. You know, only 5 to 10% of European households have air conditioning, uh, which is, sounds absolutely miserable. Um, but so they ended up having a, there's something called Durham wheat, uh, which is a component used for pasta. And they had to harvest it two weeks early. And they yielded 30% less than normal. Uh, so as a result, we might see pasta prices go up. Oh, no. Is a very big downside. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's really tough. And another interesting thing is actually air conditioning stocks are up about 10% in the last five days. <laughs> I was going to say. So there, there, is always, there is always a bull market somewhere. It would be good to be a traveling air conditioner salesman in, uh, in, London, <laughs> in London these days. For but- sure. But I read that story about the wheat too, and I gotta say, it's I, I, this whole food crisis thing. I feel like is gonna just become a bigger and bigger issue going forward. I'm kind of worried about that, but uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. All right, both are very good. Uh, I might give you your first win, Vildana. I, really? I, yeah. My first one ever. I think that's your first one. I don't know. Is it? Isn't that embarrassing? Yeah, it is for you. For it's me. very much for you. For yeah. this, uh, um, not so much for me. Not for you, yeah, obviously. But. All right, Vildada, have you ever purchased a big ticket item without telling your husband? No. You can confess on the show. Like I don't think he listens. A fridge? Any, any big, a car? big purchase. Diamonds, a car. No. Nothing? Expensive, hand, so. expensive handbag. Nothing? So, yeah, nothing? No. No, no shoes. Sean, you ever, you ever buy a big, uh, I don't even know if you're uh, in a relationship, so I don't know, but if... Uh, I, I am indeed married. Uh, have, have I ever just went out and bought something on my own? Extremely expensive. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I probably no. I don't like think a, I like have. A, f- a fang stock, perhaps. Um, <laughs> all right. What if I were to tell you there was a woman in Scotland who bought a castle Ooh. without telling her husband? An actual 17th century castle. Wow. She impulse purchased it. Um, not a very nice castle, but it is on a lot of land, about four and a half acres outside of Glasgow. Uh, it's from the 17th century. It was the Bishop of Glasgow's residence at one point, and it's a mess. It's very, very much derelict, as the Daily Mail describes it uh-huh. in, in their story. Because you think of a Scottish castle as being all stone and just wood floors, but this had either drywall or plaster walls at some point, and everything's falling apart. It's, it's a total mess. Several million pounds to, to renovate it. But, Vildana, what do you think the selling price was for this derelict, quote-unquote, Scottish castle? I think these are these things are cheaper than you would think. You think yeah. castle, you think, like, princes and princesses, right. etc. I'm going to go with, uh, like, 450,000 pounds. 450,000 pounds. Show, what do you want, the over or under on that? I'm going to go under. I'm going to go under. Yeah. Yeah. The under is right. 250,000 pounds. Oh, no. I almost for, went with 250. Wow. For a derelict Scottish <laughs> castle. It's pretty amazing. It is a dump, though. It really needs a lot of work. 
But she's one of these women who's like buys old houses and and fixes them up and turns without them into telling her husband Airbnbs. I think the rest of them she told her husband about. She, is she American? Is she benefiting from the uh, euro dollar parity? She's not, but her her investment thesis is that Americans love castles. Yes, and I yeah, I think she's right about that. I went to Scotland one time and we saw a lot of castles. We saw the Monty Python uh, Holy Grail castle. That was pretty good. So. Her, she wants to turn it into a wedding hall and uh, and lure Americans over to get it's married. It's not a bad idea. It's so, not a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> sign me up. 250,000 pounds. European travel cheap right now. Yeah. For American. Yeah. I the, can't believe I almost went with 250. And I didn't. Uh, yeah, you were, you were in the ballpark, though. I will. Uh, Don't beat yourself up about it. You still won. Yeah. That's true. Thank you. Yeah. And I lost on the 1,000 dead rodents. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty embarrassing. I. I I need to read up more on that. I really on, got you on, on that. On how many dead rodents can you get <laughs> in a dollar store? How gross! I think we've grossed out all the listeners enough for one week, Vildana. Uh, mm-hmm. Sean, always a pleasure to hear your thoughts. Uh, what's going on at City U.S. Wealth Management? And uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on again. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. What goes up? We'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Vildana Hyrick is at Vildana Hyrick. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Stacey Wong. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.